These four preparatory weeks before Christmas are reminders to us that our Lord had a life in the womb of Mary a full nine months before his birthday. An important point to make in this time when prenatal life is so little valued or even admitted. Unlike any other person's beginnings, in his embryonic life, Christ was conscious of himself being there, being willfully submissive to his most lowly place of habitation. It was for him a time of confinement, solitude, and silence. He needed not, as God, to have followed this common condition of human beginnings. He might have intended instead to descend and appear among us as a fully developed man without having a birthday without Christmas. Perhaps merely to say this is to get a hint of how impoverished we would have been in such case, a Christianity but without Christmas. God acts for his purposes all his own And we must try to appreciate as best we can some of the reasons why he willed to be incarnate in the ordinary manner that he chose. One of the English poets wrote that in the Virgin Mary contained was heaven and earth in little space. That is to say that both divinity and humanity were enclosed in the smallest possible space, an abasement of infinity, of omnipotence. In the hymn of the church, the Te Deum, We marvel that Christ, in becoming man, did not abhor the virgin's womb. Rather, he became a willing captive there. In order to undo our willful captivity to the grips of sin, he was made a prisoner for our debts in a manner of anticipation of his future confinement and fragility in the Eucharistic host. Among humans, only Mary knew that he was there, and she adored the hidden God present in her, much as we adore him in the Holy Sacrament, wherein both divinity and humanity 
are contained but veiled under the sacramental species. In Mary, our Lord found a singularly loving place for his retreat, for his solitude and silence. These first months of life for him were exceedingly humble and poor. Conditions which, even though he had verbal silence, inability to speak, admonished us for our pride, our self-love and material attachments. His self-awareness being in the womb must surely have been a kind of mortification to him, mortifying his senses, his will, and his liberty. This stricture to his senses meant that he was not yet able to speak audibly, to move about freely, nor even to see. Even though, again, he was fully conscious of his identity and of his purposes for being there, to obey the will of the Father and to redeem the human race, saving them from eternal loss. Such was the great heart in such a small body. The submission of Christ's will was evident in that he who rules the universe had to be carried about by the will of his mother, which was a forecast of his entire life's submission and obedience to the will of God the Father, which is to say, of subduing whatever his human will and ambition might prefer to comply to God's directives. This restriction on his freedom meant having to be content with his self-imposed limitations, repressing the movements within him to tend towards anything other than what the divine plan had decreed for his humanity. The dependence of Jesus in the cloistered sanctuary of Mary's womb is an indication of how he wants us to have dependence on Mary for our own spiritual growth and perfection. He had no nourishment there apart from her. His fragile life was entirely in her custody. The mighty God was under subjection to her as he would later be at Nazareth for a long 30 years. Relying upon Mary, we enable ourselves to repress our tendency to want to take charge fully of ourselves, independently of God's will. What Christ our Lord bore so meekly for us in Mary, out of his love in his secluded, abandoned life, 
is a corrective for us of our rebelliousness, self-assertiveness, self-advancement, as well as our impatience, pride, lust, envy, revenge, and all other untoward urges and movements that come from within us. There's a beloved and well-known prayer attributed to St. Julian Peter Imard, which addresses our Lord as he was in that nine-month period of life in gestation, so fully cognizant of himself, so well aware of us and of all things past and yet to come. It reads this way. O Jesus, living in Mary, come and live in your servants in the spirit of your sanctity, in the fullness of your power, in the perfection of your ways, in the truth of your virtues, and in the communion of your mysteries. Triumph over every adverse power in your Holy Spirit for the glory of your Father. Amen. That's asking quite a bit from this frail being in the womb to conquer within us and in all the world every wicked tendency to assert the glory of God. And yet, this is the very kind of self-conquest that we try to achieve every day if we're making any advancement in grace and in conformity to Christ, a conformity which, as we have seen, is modeled upon the manner of his life before he was born. Every day during Advent, I've been beginning my early morning office of matins with a hymn from the Divine Office that summons me and the whole church to a thought-provoking meditation on Christ, the incarnate Word, and in what advantage it is to renounce all my ill-leaning tendencies. I'd like to give you an unofficial version of that hymn. O supernal Word, proceeding from the bosom of the Eternal Father, who came to be born to the world in the gliding course of time. Enlighten now our hearts. Burn your love in them, so that our heart, forsaking perishable things, may be filled with the delights of heaven. Thus, when the tribunal of the judge will consign evil men to fire, and a friendly voice will call the pious to their owed heaven. We may not roll about as food for flames among the black whirlwinds upon seeing God, but may be sharers of the joys of heaven. We ought not to think it quaint or cute 
to speak about the prenatal life of Christ, nor the reality of what's figured as these turbines, which I translated as whirlwinds of hell, but to take them seriously as realities which serve to define, refine, and especially to chasten our desires, our aspirations, our wants. Christ came for the purpose of repairing our deformed state, of our being not right, and to fit us for an eternal mode of existence, shrinking our inflated selves to conform to the mortified life of the infant Christ is the way we have to have rebirth in Christ, in holiness and in justice before him all the days of our life, as we say in the Benedictus. If we would only think about the lowly Christ in the womb, we would find motivation to live more circumscribed as true Christians, not thinking of ourselves so highly, not to boast, bluster, and to act out all the vicious ways proposed to us by our fallen human nature. This would be a most suitable and worthy manner to conduct ourselves in these last days before the great event we are soon to celebrate.